Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce, how you doing? Hey, David. I'm doing all right. How about yourself tonight? Triple header, eh? Triple header. I coached a game, I played in one, and then I watched the highlights of the Oilers game here. So I'm coming a little shorthanded um, on the Oilers game. I, I, You went over the scoring chances. You, there was about 30, 35 plays that I went over. So uh, it's getting late, though, and I don't want to make you step for me to watch the whole game. So let's we'll be going on that. I'll, I'll have fairly limited comments, though. I mean, from the from the grade A shots, you certainly see. I could see that this in the end was a fairly San Jose never really had a lot going on in this game. I mean, the, the chances were 20 to nine for the Oilers grade A shots. In terms of five bell chances, it was double eight to four for the Oilers. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a shutout for Skinner. And um, that's always that's great. That's fantastic. That makes the Oilers goaltending situation a little in e- more interesting. But he wasn't. Uh, San Jose never lo- really looked like they, like they had a, a great run, like a great pushback in this game. Um, from from what I could gather, what did you think of it, Bruce? What did you think of the game? Well, Oilers came out a little bit slow, and you know, for San Jose, um, it was their first game since February first. They since before the All Star game, uh, and of course this was originally when the NHL canceled games for the Olympics. You know that there was not nothing scheduled, and the teams that had all the games postponed had catching up to do. Well, San Jose hadn't had any games postponed except this one against Edmonton, for instance. You know where they were kind of caught in the crossfire, but they had no problems of their own. So. They've been kind of sitting idle for a while, and I, I think it showed tonight. They didn't have a whole lot of get up and go. They came out, they had an early surge early in the first period, and then the Oilers, once the Oilers scored the first goal, that was that was it. Yeah. They just They're, took over. Man. San Jose's, does, they're not a very good team this year. I mean, they've done a little, little better than expected, but... um. Mm-hmm. um I was going to say, Bruce, I'll, I'll start it off with my good thing, but I'm going to change my good thing because I was I was going to say that the good thing was Zach Hyman because every just every scoring chance replay, like, well, half of them he was involved in. He made 11 major contributions to grade wow. A shots in this game and, and all kinds of great plays. He, McDavid was really strong in this game, obviously, and the RV. that line really looked like it had it going on. But I'm gonna I'm gonna change my good thing to the first Oilers first goal because there's nothing sweeter, there is nothing, few things sweeter than and the second goal for that matter, than than the Oilers getting those kinds of goals against San Jose Sharks, you know the masters, the absolute masters of those chintzy goals that are with the you know the outside shot uh, bouncing deflected in going in weirdly. San Jose was, for a decade, there was no one in the NHL that was mm-hmm. close to them in terms of being as good at, at manufacturing that kind of goal. So I'll, I'll go with just the first goal because um, okay. that was the backbreaker, it turns out, in the game. And mm-hmm. Bouchard puts it at net. He, I, he, Ryan tips it, Fogel tips it, like the slightest of tips, and it's in the net. That is, I don't know if it's poetic justice because yes. it's not like, Perhaps it is because the owners are starting to manufacture this kind of goal. Now, 
Jay Woodcroft, of course, was in San Jose when they scored all that that kind of goal, and he knows. That's true. He's probably a technical master of creating that kind of play and is working on his players constantly. The Oilers have never gotten enough of that kind of goal, and they got yeah. it tonight. And it's they all look the same in the end, right, like on the scoreboard. So fantastic way to get a lead in a game when you're not when you don't got much going on um to get a goal like that is very very sweet that was edmonton's first shot of the night san jose had outshot edmonton six to nothing till that point and uh edmonton's first shot was this double deflection and it was a very good tip by ryan i think um fogel got a little bit lucky on the play but uh, uh whatever it hit shin pad and caromed into the corner and it was like sticking a pin in the balloon for San Jose. The orders from that point to the end outshot San Jose 41 to 14 and totally dominated possession other than the very occasional breakdown. But Edmonton was winning races to the puck. They were winning battles to the puck. They were winning in numbers around the puck. And they just had way more going on in this game, way more seemed like motivation and hunger for the puck yeah and san jose did and uh, i loved large parts of this game it's you know it wasn't quite the montreal game but you don't want the montreal game to be honest that was a terrible game this wasn't a terrible game it was just a workmanlike well-deserved uh victory by you know a nice margin three goals to zero very professional win Mm-hmm. Go in, you know, punch the time clock, yeah. work hard, right to the mm-hmm. end, punch the time clock with the win. Nice, mm-hmm. nice work by the orders. What's your good thing, Bruce? Yeah, well, I'm gonna, I am gonna uh, single out Stuart Skinner, first career shutout. I mean, we can't let that go without uh, without notice. And he had, uh, he came up big in the early going, and uh, Louis DeBrus said, and uh, uh, Jay Woodcroft said the same thing that this could have been a very different game had one of those early ones gotten by him. And this was two games in a row that their goalies came out in the very beginning, made a few saves while it was still 0-0 and gave the, their mates an actual chance to, you know, start creating some offense. Or, you know, they easily could have been down Friday. They easily could have been down tonight. Uh, and they weren't. Uh, Skinner was... Uh, eye to eye with the shooter on maybe three or four occasions over the course of the game. Those rookie blue got burned a couple of times. The occasional pairing of uh, Brobery and uh, Bouchard uh, had a guy get in behind him twice. That also happened on Friday night at least once. Uh, But those were the exceptions to the rule for the most part. The Oilers were in the ascendant. And once Skinner gave him those uh, those early saves and they took the lead, they really took over. And then he really had to make, I'd say, one decent save in the second period and and a couple in the third. And he had the answers. You know, there was again he was eyeball to eyeball with a shark sniper, and I mean he made a great save off Thomas Hurdle. That's not a easy player. And and uh, uh, <clears throat> so credit to him for especially you know the early part and then the team for picking it up for there. So, I mean, really, if we're going to do one good thing, we're going to do the overarching thing. There's lots of individual players who I really liked in this game. Derek Ryan had a good game. 
Marcus Niemelainen. I liked what I do. You see that one play? Probably you didn't. Niemelainen. Uh, I got because it wouldn't show up anywhere near the scoring chance. It was a one-on-one, and it looked like the guy might beat him wide. And Niemelainen just came back, put his body right into the guy, knocked him off the puck with his big body. Then he got a hold of the puck with his long reach and spun away from the guy, took it behind the net, and then one look and a beautiful outlet pass up the boards and the puck was going the other way. It was perfect. Like he did three things. He took the body, he took the puck, he passed the puck. Done. You know, he's yeah. been in the Oilers. Just beautiful. He raced the guy. Yeah, he's been in the Oilers system a long time since I think 2016, if I'm not yes. mistaken third round pick and what I watched some of his games as a junior player and he he wasn't he is he has done what a lot of players should do to make the NHL he is up the sandpaper you know he's become a much more gritty physical hockey player than he was as a junior hockey player yes. he was a big skinny guy who could really skate uh for a big guy in junior hockey he had a bit of could you know was okay with the puck but it was his size and skating that got him drafted so high but you know, and when he, when I'm, it strikes me when I watch AHL games, I just think so many players like, you're close, and if you just had played a harder game, like a really harder game, if that was your whole focus, mm-hmm. you could probably make it in the NHL. But that's hard to do. It's hard to pull that off. It's a physical game. But he has done that. He has become just a nasty physical hockey player, and surprising me like I, I i wouldn't have guessed this two years ago that this was going to happen uh that he's become this player who's forcing his way into the lineup with um solid play you know he's one of these bigger guys that also takes a little longer to develop wow. the tall guys to get their coordination going to get their skill going to work on their skill that seems to be coming together somewhat and mm-hmm. the physical play is outstanding and on this team it's absolutely needed so yeah, he's been impressive all year long, the Niemer. My bad thing is just the start of the game, Bruce. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. You had something to add? You wanted to add something there? Oh, that's that's good. Okay. My bad thing is the start of the game. I mean, for a team, this is two coaches now, for a team that, that uh, starts poorly, to, to come out and, and to start poorly, I mean, who does that? Like, what's going on still? Like, they, they're not shaking that habit yet. They, they got to figure something out. I don't know what it is, but they can't seem to crank it up until they, they've given, you know, at least two or three grade A shots to the other team. And there was, yeah. including one of those was a five alarm shot, you know, yes. um, Arvey on the boards, loses the battle. And then uh, Bouchard and Brobury got, get beat for a pass. And you just can't have that game after game and they could have easily been down one nothing yeah. again here and they you know they weren't they weren't but it is a strange thing um with this Oilers team it's been a, it's been one of the themes of the decade of darkness I think actually is bad starts to games and um well they're only bad starts if your goalie gets beat too if he holds you in there you know I mean Ken true. Dryden Ken Dryden, man. How many times did we see Ken Dryden play a game where he'd make five big saves in the first 10 minutes of the first period and he'd spend the rest of the night doing this on his stick, looking way down at the other end of the ice when the Habs took over the game. And yeah. by the end of the game, the star pickers would forget all about those five saves that he made early because the Habs would have won, you know, five to one or two or, you know, whatever. But, I mean, I'm not saying these are the, the Habs. I'm just saying that, that even good teams... 
are subject sometimes to slow starts. Even great teams are sometimes subject to to slow starts. And anyway, why does it? Why doesn't any other goalie do that thing that Dryden did, resting on their stick like that? Seems like very comfortable. But he's the only goalie I've ever seen do that. I think consistently. Yes. It's a very trademark stance. Doing it. Yeah. Yeah. No, like it's. <laughs> I don't know why they never don't, more of them don't do it. Uh, you're a bad thing, Bruce. Yeah, not a lot bad, but the uh, power play, uh, I wasn't happy with the uh, with the Oilers' power play. And they, they had one in the f- uh, first period where it was, they already scored two goals, and then they got a power play. And for the first minute of the first power play, they couldn't do anything. Like they couldn't get over the blue line. They couldn't, you know. They when they did, they pass it back over the blue line themselves. Or, you know, there was just no structure, no, 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 um, no purpose to it. It didn't seem like. And then out of nowhere, a second penalty got called, and they had a five-on-three. And you know, if they score there, that you know, it's 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 a great chance to put the game away. And I just didn't think they bore down and and really. Uh, uh, took advantage of, of that opportunity and then in the second period they had one where they had a, a four-minute power play and again same thing it was still two nothing they had a, a real chance now in that particular case uh they only got two minute power play because the refs made the worst interference call against zach hyman that you can i think it's the worst call i've seen all season david where Andrew Cogliano kind of stumbled into Hyman at the blue line and pushed him over the blue line and, and forced him offside. And somehow out of that, the ref saw Hyman is interfering. All he was doing was standing his ground, and Cogliano basically crashed right into him, and I called interference. I was just like, what? How is that a penalty? And uh, I'm still flabbergasted. Uh, but again, that, that was an opportunity and I guess a couple other times, maybe not even power play, there was a three-on-one that was on the penalty kill where they overpassed the puck and wound up getting nothing uh, and, a, and a jailbreak the other way because they committed three guys up the ice. And uh, it was just a matter of let's execute when we're in tight to the net. So there was a, you know, they could have got, I think, easily a couple more goals in this game by, uh, by uh, having a, a power play that was firing on all cylinders or just... Just converting the chance. And James Reimer did have a pretty good game. I'll, I'll add that. He did, didn't he? Like 20 grade A shots and um, eight uh, five alarm shots. So uh, pretty. that is pretty, just to let in three, you know, mm-hmm. four or five might have been expected. Um, numbers, Bruce, I'll start off with numbers. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reference a post that I just did on McDavid. And um, there was, a, we, we were discussing this, other people have been discussing this. In 2022, the first 12 games of 2022, he was looked like, you know, terrible point scoring performance at even strength. He was scoring at the rate of a fourth liner, um, quite frankly. Um, yes. Exactly how fourth liners score about, you know, fourth liners get between about 0.8 and 1.2 points per 60. Mm-hmm. And McDavid, I think, was at 1.15 for these 12 mm-hmm. games, which yeah. seems like it's a significant sample size. Yes. So we've been speculating. We've been talking about it what's going on. And so I dug into it. Like I was, I was just wanted to see how many grade A shots is he manufacturing? Like, how, you know, what's going on here? Is he, has he been um, as bad as he, his point performance uh, would seem to indicate. And uh, the answer is no, 
he he actually was chipping in in his first 31 games, Bruce, mm-hmm. uh, where he had 30 even str- 30 uh, even strength points in 30 games, uh, or as those five on five points. Uh, it, anyway, five 30 and five. 31, and then uh, then he went to f- he had I think uh, five points, five five on five points in 12 games. So, but he. In these last 12 games, he's actually increased the number of grade A shots he was he was helping to manufacture at even strength. He averaged in the first 31 games 3.2, but in the last 12 games, this is before these last two games when he's broken out of the slump. Um, in the last in the in those first 12 games of 2022, he was at 3.8 per game, so 3 3.2, and he goes to 3.8. So he's actually was in on more chances at even strength, and. Um, so it when you think about it 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 it's i think it came down to two things um some really hot goaltending from the from the opposition that he faced and puck luck you know all you need all he needed you know of, he he was in on 57 grade a shots in those 12 games at even strength all he needed was five times for the puck just to bounce slightly differently or the goalie to be not as good and he then would have 10 points in 12 games, and we wouldn't have been talking about it. Uh, you know, and if it would have been seven or eight, he would have had 13 points in the 12 games. So it's very easy to to go into, a, you know, puck luck plays a huge part in the game, and in terms of our perception of players. And I do think this was a case of bad puck luck and good goaltending. And the, the one goal that I would fault Reimer on, um, definitely, was McDavid's goal, the last goal, which was a very sneaky excellent shot it's a very good shot it was like Sidney Crosby's goal in some ways to win the Olympic gold medal in 2010 um just shoot before the goalie ready yeah but the goalie (laughs) if the goalie's sharp that ain't a goal right like he should probably have like he stopped one just like that about 15 seconds earlier yeah it was a little spot well, right along the ice, five feet out. Got, five him feet the stick, got him with the stick that time, and then McDavid went to the same spot. McDavid had four shots on that shift, four shots himself the on that one shift. Yeah. <laughs> so he just got whether that's puck luck or bad goaltending, one or the other. Like he just he just got lucky there, a little bit more luck, and and it goes in the net. So hockey is a funny game, and and it, in the in the career of a, a player as great as Connor McDavid, there are going to be stretches where even he can't bend, you know, Fortuna to his will, and he's not going to score uh, at the regular rate that we've come to expect. And it doesn't necessarily mean that he's at an entirely different level of, of performance. Just pro- He's at a different level of production, but not necessarily of performance. Although I would still argue, even though these numbers are telling me that he did manufactured more grade A shots than they're just, he didn't look quite the same. I'm, I'm going to it's hard for me to shake that idea and that notion that he that he was firing on all cylinders. And, you know, we've we've noted in the past that he had COVID and uh, early on in this streak. So I, I I still hold that he probably wasn't quite himself, but he was still pretty darn good in those games. He's still amazing. He was down the court. I would bet if we had a did a detailed review, we'd find fewer five alarm or sort of shore goal type plays. Where- yeah. Sometimes you see McDavid, and you know the play is so good that the guy on the other end of the pass can't miss, and we haven't seen much of that. And anyway, he's uh, 
he's coming around. He was real good in this game. He was named first star in the building. Uh, three stars were all credited to the Oilers in in this game. And uh, don't get up very much on the road in American City. So yeah, well, he was in on four of the eight five five alarm shot chances tonight, yeah, right? That's more like him. Yeah. yeah, that's more like Connor McDavid. You know, to be and you're gonna get if you're in on four five alarm shots in a game, you're gonna get a point get a or two. Point. Yeah. Okay, your number, Bruce. Oh, oh, well, there's lots of numbers of interest from this game, and uh, I'm, I'm really digging uh, Jay Woodcroft's personnel deployment, and some of these Oilers' Corsi numbers and shot share numbers are incredible in this game. Well, I'm going to go with the number four. Uh, that was from a penalty kill in the first period uh, when the Oilers are hanging on to a 2 nothing lead, and they ran a full shift on the penalty kill uh, with... Derek Ryan and Ryan McLeod up front, uh, Marcus Niemelainen and Philip Broberry on the blue line, and Stuart Skinner in net. Four rookies on the ice, killing a penalty for the Edmonton Oilers. And guess what? They did the job. The only thing that even showed up in the play-by-play was, wait for it, a hit by Marcus Niemelainen. And otherwise, uh, Sharks didn't give them any trouble at all, and they got the job done. And, and I was just looking at all those training camp numbers out there, you know, 71, 74, 80, 86. And went, holy cow, that's a lot of young kids out there. And I realized they're all literally technically NHL rookies. Did you say they had three defensemen? Who are the two forwards? Uh, McLeod. And uh, and uh, Ryan, so McLeod's a rookie. The two defensemen were Broberry and Nina oh, Lyon. Skinner's a rookie. So four rookie. out of the five. Skinner's players. a rookie. Yeah. Four right. out of the five players on the ice yeah. for the Oilers were rookies, killing the penalty. Now that's a new coach coming First in. First I'm going okay. three, and then I went, wait a minute, the goalie's a rookie. Holy moly! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good for the coach. Like he's he knows these players. He knows what they can do. And he's, mm-hmm. I, listen, William Loggison yeah. looks like a player transformed to me right oh, now. He looks beautiful tonight. I love this game. Yeah. He looks like he's, he's got a coach who believes in him and he's, and he looks like it. He looks like mm-hmm. it. He looks like coach has my back. I'm going to go play my game. And this is, you know, we saw William Loggison play really well in Bakersfield. Like it wasn't like he was like, he, he came up with Jones and um, Bear and it wasn't like he was the weak player of those three players in a lot of ways um like they all have something to offer but mm-hmm. in a lot of ways Lockerson had the most nhl game if you're looking for that rugged player you know who can do a bit of mm-hmm. everything because he's bigger than the other ones and he's far more rugged so greasier for sure yeah he's, and he can you know he's not as good with the puck as either of those guys mm-hmm. you know not close to bear uh in terms of his read of the game i don't think right. but he's a pretty smart player so it's nice to see him finally bringing his A game. And like, if he doesn't make it now, at least he's he's showing what he's got, right? He's playing his best hockey. Maybe he's not going to be good enough, but he's making a run for it. He's making a claim. And, you know, they're not missing fucking Keith. Um, a ter- I don't want to say that too loudly because they sure right. could, right? This is early yeah. days in this, and we'll see how this goes without Duncan Keith. But... Um, um, Logason and Nima Linen are playing really well. Well, he lined up on the second pairing tonight with Cody Cece. I'm not sure exactly how many minutes they played together, but I do know they're pretty much a match set in uh, 
uh, shot shares, uh, plus 17 minus three for CC and 17 to four for Lagason. And they, you know, they just didn't give up much of anything. They were in command out there and the puck was moving north most of the time. And I mean, that's when, when the shot shares are that one-sided, they're telling you something that, you know, the play is flowing downhill. And uh, yeah, Lagason, I, I, I quite enjoyed his his, uh, his game tonight. And these guys, I mean, having uh, Dave Manson whispering into their ears has uh, got to be uh, uh, just a real boost for those young fellows that, you know, played under him in the AHL for, you know, one or two or three years, I think. And, in, uh, in, uh, you know, they've been, been under him for big chunks of time. I guess Brobery only came over this season, but he played half the season down there with uh, Dave Manson. And now the coaches are up there, and I think they're on the same page. It is all Manson can do, like, because he got his vote. He can only whisper now. But I wonder if that's not very, like, super effective in some ways. So yeah. instead of being a yeller and a screamer like mm-hmm. so many coaches, right, he's just got to, he's just, he's got to be, just calmly, quietly give advice. He got into a fight with Sergio Momesso of the Vancouver Canucks in a game here in Edmonton. And Momesso punched him in the throat with a wild punch and fractured his larynx. And uh, I... I have a friend who, uh, uh, Bob LeDrew, used to be the video goal judge for the uh, for the Oilers, but he happened to be working in the penalty box that night, and he said that Manson was screaming at Momesso after he got punched, and he was sure he did as much damage to his voice in the rage that followed as, you know, the original thing, like it just made it worse. And Anyway, I, I'm interested to hear him speak in front of a mic, because I have not. I uh, heard him talk for a while, but uh, I have uh, all day for Dave Manson. And I mean, what we're seeing so far, you know, 20, 28 straight games with multiple goals against. And now they play two games under Woodcroft and Manson and given up a total of one goal. It's fascinating. Maybe that's eh? a fluky thing, but it sure turned fast. Wow. Well, they they played pretty strong defensive hockey tonight. Yes. So, so uh, there is that. He, he, uh, Manson was such a... I liked them on the orders. Him and Normie McIver were a yeah. really strong defensive pairing. And yes. then McIver got, had money issues and had to go to Ottawa or some other team. And that was just brutal. One of the many brutal things we endured as voter fans there mm-hmm. in that era. Well, Bruce, it's late. So I really appreciate you staying up to talk and uh, thanks for doing the chances tonight. And thanks for talking tonight. Hey, uh, no worries. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the cult of hockey podcast.